0: are in this series, The Bachelorette. No, it's not the, just based on the TV show. We are redeeming the show and all of its antics and craziness, but um, a little bit on that in just a couple minutes. But I want to um, start off with a question that'll kind of frame the message for today. But um, and that question is, have you ever sat down to watch something only to discover you had seen it before? Anybody ever done that? Raise your hands. All the time. Yeah. Like you maybe, and especially now these days, like you can stream everything on demand, and then you're like, which episode are we on, right? And you're like watching three, like, I think I saw that. Didn't you do this? Or, you know, or maybe you watched a movie and you're like, this sounds like a great movie, right? And you turn it on, you got your popcorn, you're ready, and then what? You've seen it before, right? (laughs) You've seen it before. Um, Sometimes it happens um, unintentionally, other times it happens intentionally um, when you just want some mindless, Brainless activity to put on a show, you know, if you like the, the Office or everybody loves Raymond or any of those kinds of shows that you just, you've seen them episodes before and you're like, oh, I remember that one about the pipe, like, you know, talk about those things. Sometimes we do those and watch those intentionally. And, and what are those shows called when you've seen something before? A rerun, right? Yeah, it's a rerun. And a rerun, um, believe it or not, it's defined as a rebroadcast of an episode already. Shown and did you know that reruns actually have a history, especially in the history of television? Um, We actually there's several inventors of the rerun. Um, Back in the '50s, um, you may recognize these names: Lucille Ball, anyone, and Desi Arnaz. um, They were inventors of the rerun. Um, basically, it was first used the first time that a rerun, an episode that had played before was actually played, um, was for the American television show, I Love Lucy, 1951 to 57. And it was used the first rerun broadcast during Lucille Ball's pregnancy. It was for during her pregnancy. So kind of interesting fact, just throw that out today. But, um, but, but kind of a parallel to that though, you know, we've watched things before, whether shows or movies or that kind of thing. But have you ever entered a new stage, a new chapter, or a new episode in life, only to have it feel like a rerun? Hmm. Okay, ask ask for hands raised for that. But have you ever entered a new stage in life, only for it to begin to feel like a rerun of one that came before? I think we all have. Uh, You know, life can be like that, too, especially when you're starting new or fresh in something. Um, we're starting over. And, um, and, and what's interesting, too, is that looking back on the previous like, episodes or seasons of life, an um, interesting fact is we tend to learn from our mistakes in life in the areas of life that matter the least. Isn't that true? Like, like in games or sports or you're taking lessons or you accidentally texted the wrong person. You, know, you meant to text mom, I love you, and you texted your boss, I love you. And now before you send that, don't you check to see who you're sending it to, right? You, you learn from your mistakes in the areas of life that kind of matter really in the big scheme of things the least. But the areas that matter the most, unfortunately, we often repeat those mistakes in finances, relationships, and family asking the question, how did I get here again? It feels like that deja vu moment, or it feels like, a rerun. And 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 how did I get here again? I think it's a really important question to ask especially when you're starting that chapter. Um is it's a really important question to ask because of one word in that question, how did I get here again? The word I. The word I because did you know that the common denominator between episode 1 and episode 2 is what? You. You're the common denominator between the two of those. Uh, It said, uh, Thomas Kempis, who is a medieval theologian and writer, um, he said these words. He says, wherever you go, there you are. Isn't that true? Wherever you go, that's where you are. It's you. And that might be bad news, you know, because you bring with you everything from chapter one. You bring you. But I think it's also the good news. It's also the good news. And, And that's the place to start when you're starting over or you're moving on. Um, You know, that we have intentions often to do things differently, but what we often forget when we start something new is the me, is the I, is that's the part, that how am I changing? How is God changing me? How have I changed um, who I am? Maybe, Maybe who God has called me to be and how I see myself in that story. Well, like I said before, we're in this series, The Bachelorette. We are redeeming it. Um, and let me just give you a little bit of a review to catch you up. Um, those of you guys that were with us last week or just a little refresher, we have our table groups that are also um, doing this study. Um, but, but basically, the story starts off with this ordinary family of four. So this is thousands of years ago, the first um, Uh, actual written book of Ruth is probably written about a thousand BC but we know it was also told as a story before that but the story starts out with an ordinary family of four and um, does anybody remember the two children's names in that family of four there are two boys sick and tired yes Kilian and May, uh, Malon. Kilian and Malon also translated sick and tired because people were named for what they looked like or what they were hoped to be. And they were called sick and tired by mom and dad. So this family four lived in Bethlehem. And times get hard and, and the famine and a famine hits, and it kind of forces them, or they choose the father's name is Emiliak, and he moves to Moab. he moves the family to Moab, and that's about like a 50 mile journey, not a very easy one. You see the distance there. you either have to go through the sea around the sea. there's lots of choices. and so they live in this, this area of Moab that is actually not a good choice of an area to go to, though they probably did have food at the time. Um, It was a place that if you were a follower of the one true God, then God forbade people from living in that area, in Moab. Moab. And, and there were many reasons for that. Historically, going back to Genesis, I kind of unpacked that last week. But also because uh, they, they worshipped this god called Chimoish, Chimoish. And it was a normal practice for people living in Moab to sacrifice their children to this god. It was a crazy practice. And God actually, in scriptures, in the Psalms, calls Moab a wash basin. Like the place that you're cleaning off all the dirt and grime. Well, they're living in this area and the boys, the two sick and tired, they grow up and they go on to marry Moabite women, locals. And pretty soon though, the dad and then the both of the boys, both of the sons, they die. They die. And so they they leave these three women, the two wives and Naomi, who is Elimelech's wife, the, the from the, family, the original family. And so chapter one starts off, we start off last week, with a really a heartbreaking loss. Have you ever really encountered a heartbreaking loss or experienced that? But, but Naomi, the, the one bachelorette, she's a widow, um, she is one of those. Then we have these two others, Ruth and Orpah, who were the two daughters-in-law. All three of these women are left alone, and Naomi finally decides to turn from Moab and return to Bethlehem, to make the hard decision to return to Bethlehem. So there's two daughters-in-law. There's these bachelorettes. They have a choice to make. Naomi tells the two girls to say, hey, go home. Go home to your parents in Moab. Leave me. I'm going to go and leave. You know, you will find new husbands. You will be blessed. And what? One decides, the one that we kind of read real fast, and we call her Oprah, to Orpah, but it's Oprah, she decides to do exactly as Naomi told her to do, and she hugs and kisses her, and she goes on her way, but then the other one, Ruth, decides the opposite. And this is the scripture we recalled last week, Ruth 1.16, where Ruth says these famous words, wherever you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. So it's a turning point. It's a turning point for Ruth. It's a turning point for the whole story. Because Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. They returned to Bethlehem. And, and this Ruth, this Ruth, who didn't grow up religious in the, in the faith of, of, um, of, of the Jews at that time, those that were following the one true God, and, and Naomi as one of them, she didn't grow in that. She grew up in this faith of following this Chamoish and all these other kind of this pagan religion. And she turns. She comes to faith and begins to follow Naomi. You can imagine how scary that probably must have been leaving her home country, her hometown, her home people, and moving with this, this, this mother-in-law. Think about that. If you have a mother-in-law, would you go and move in with mom, mother-in-law you know, that far away? You know, do you trust her? Do you have that good of a relationship? Don't comment right there. But, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. But think about the risk that she was taking to go here. And not only that, but they returned to Bethlehem homeless. They have no home. They're hopeless because everything they just lost, and they're hurting. Homeless, hopeless, and hurting. And so at that point, chapter one comes to an end. But that's when we turn the page. Today, in a new episode, with chapter one behind us, we enter into chapter two, in episode two. And I don't know who this is for. Maybe God is writing a new episode for you. Maybe you're starting over, maybe it's been failed relationships, maybe a struggling marriage, maybe starting school again or a new job or taking a class or entering into a, a series of decisions health-wise and there's uncertainty. But maybe God is starting a new chapter for you and you've ended chapter 1 and now it's starting chapter 2. But I think it's important to go back to what we talked, just were talking about before though is making sure that chapter 2 is not a repeat of chapter 1. So often we do because we bring us. So we're going to look at in this story today about avoiding, avoiding reruns moving on to that next chapter, avoiding reruns moving on to the next chapter. And the first thing that we see in Ruth's story is is going, the, the, the most important thing or the first thing to note is to go to a different place to go to a different place. And that's where Ruth starts off. Ruth and Naomi, they enter this next episode, chapter 2, they enter in a totally new place, in Bethlehem. So in Ruth chapter 1, it ends, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Can you just feel that anticipation? Something new is on the horizon. The harvest is beginning. There's opportunity. But, but I think when it comes to you and I, uh, we, we can't expect things to be different in our next chapter without a change in place. And yes, it may be a physical location. You know, it's said, especially in the recovery community, that I, I, after you've been going through the recovery process, like, sometimes you do have to move to a physical new place to not be surrounded by those influences that have been toxic in your life and leading you in the wrong direction. Sometimes that's the case. But I think... Often it's a change in place in our, in our, our mental place, in, in our thoughts. Maybe it's a spiritual place. Once again, returning, just as Naomi did, returning to her community, returning to her people, returning to her faith, starting off in a new place, it matters so much because often don't we think that experience makes us wiser? Right? Like, was i was been through that before, like now I'm here. Like, that's actually not true. It's evaluated experience that makes us wiser. But And the change that comes with that, realizing that, that sometimes we, we have to leave Moab completely. We have to leave Moab completely to get to Bethlehem. And, and that's where the story starts off in this chapter. So in chapter 2, verse 1, says this, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We're told right off the bat in chapter 2. Man of standing. Say man of standing. Man of standing. So other translations kind of say the word strong man, meaning like, like strong man. Um, but, but that's really not the connotation here. This isn't about like deadlifts and like wearing the tight t-shirt and all that kind of stuff. But it's really indicating the internal strength, the character, the integrity of this guy. Going to a different place opened up a door that had not been opened before. And so the chapter continues. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. So I think that also shows us, too, when we're starting a new chapter, avoiding reruns, it also, it's important to bring an abiding sense of humility, an abiding sense of humility. That sometimes, don't, you know, you start the new chapter and you think you know better. You think, oh, I was there before. Like, I'm okay now. I know what to expect. Like, there could be like a sense of pride that bubbles us up. But don't you know, like pride? Pride is, is often the thing, that, the very thing that gets us in the wrong place. Pride can stunt us. It can also prevent us from seeing things as they are. It can prevent us from seeing reality. Um, there, there's a story of, you know, since we're at the kind of beginning of the school, the school year here, but there's a story of um, this little boy that, that after two weeks of kindergarten, um, he's being watched by his grandmother. Two weeks had passed by of his first couple weeks of kindergarten. And uh, this lady's grandson, he came, comes home, and he tells his grandmother that he was the smartest kid in the class. He said, said, uh, Grandma, I am the smartest kid in my class. And, of course, the grandmother you know, she's listening, going, hmm, like, made her feel good. Well, this is my grandson here, right? So, with a deep sense of pride, she asked him, Is that what your teacher told you? And he looked at her and replied and said, No, Grandma, I had to tell her. <laughs> is that true, though? Right? Like, like, we have, sometimes there's a false sense. Of reality or we project things can prevent us from seeing things as they are and and I think it's true like looking at my own life uh, and maybe you can connect with this but sometimes we need a previous chapter to humble us sometimes that's the best thing that can happen you know it's not when you're going through it but sometimes those things can humble us and lead us to a place that we really need to be to be receptive to to how God has laid out the landscape in front of us I mean look at Ruth Look at Ruth. I mean, the question, like, what does it mean to glean? What does it mean to glean? Well, funny you should ask that. But, but the gleaning is not just picking up, like, leftovers outside of, of the fields. But it actually refers to God's command to the Israelites. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, where the people are, are commanded to let the poor follow behind the harvesting to pick up leftovers. That the poor, the poor. So she recognizes herself. She's humbled here. She says, I'm the poor. That, that was God's way of caring for the widow, the orphan, and the outcast. See, Ruth has a sense of humility. A sense of humility, not of pride, to say, I'm deserving now. I've been through all this, so therefore you should do X, Y, and Z. But she has a sense of humility. And I think translating for us, like it's okay to get help. It's more than okay to get help. To, to be humbled. And I think being humbled, it shows us that we're human. We're human. The thing about humility is is that it takes our eyes off ourselves. And it also helps us look to God. So the story continues. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And underline this if you're taking notes. As it happened, as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. Remember, I just mentioned before the relative of her father in law, Elimelech. Say the words as it happened. As it happened. As it happened. This is what you read as a God wink. God winking in this story. Just so happened. She just so happened to come across Boaz. And I think what, you know, when you're starting a new chapter, avoiding reruns, it's important, bring that abiding sense of humility, going to that different place, but also carrying with you a divine sense of destiny. A divine sense of destiny. Looking up and saying, what is God doing? Where is God at work? The as-it-happened moments. And, and that's one of the major themes of this whole entire book. Is we never see um, in the book of Ruth, we never see supernatural actions of God. There's no burning bush, there's no parting seas. God never actually speaks at all a single word. But what you do see is God's providence. God's providence. We sang the song, God's sovereignty. God, God using natural circumstances to bring about supernatural purposes. See, but Ruth, she's a participant here because she's in a different episode, and that's not, her decisions are not going to stop God from doing what God's going to do. But in this episode, she's different because she's choosing to look up. She's choosing to look up, choosing to trust this God she's chosen to follow. This God she's chosen to follow is at work. And In our tradition um, here at Table Life Church, uh, we're part of the Church of the Nazarene, which is part of like, the like, Wesleyans and like, Salvation Army and Methodists. Like, we're all in this kind of Wesleyan camp of things. Um, theologically, we have this, this concept. Um, it's a kind of grace. It's called prevenient grace. And maybe you've heard of that term before. But, but this idea of prevenient grace, not every like, Christian tradition acknowledges this, but we do. And this idea of prevenient grace is that God is at work before you realize it. That God is not cut off. It's not like we bring God to people, but God's at work before you realize it. And that God's grace is almost magnetic. It's pulling people towards himself. Is at work even before you put a name on it or realize that, it, that it's him, and you can look at your own life. I look at my own life and see this time after time after time, often not when I'm in it, but usually later. And when you move on to a new episode, it's important to recognize that, that God's up to something here. Hmm, what is it? Many of you said last week you like detective shows and you like those types of things. But being that detective side of things, what is God up to and what can I be a part of? Looking for those as-it-happen moments. Uh, to, to look back on the lessons that you learned in round one, in episode one, you know, whether it was a tough relationship or a devastation that happened, or maybe you made a wrong choice and you paid the price for it, Or maybe like you got kicked out of a job and nobody uh, had the right to do so. There was nothing going wrong and they promised you something and you were so angry and felt like a victim. But even so, coming out of that into chapter two and saying, even so, I feel like God is doing something up ahead. God is doing something up ahead. And what's interesting in Ruth's story, which is interesting, if we rewind back to chapter one, we see that Naomi gives us a little foretaste of this because Naomi prayed to God for Ruth. She prayed for Ruth. She said these words, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you would find rest in the home of another husband. And thinking of that, like when we pray, God listens. When we pray, God cares. It's important to have people praying for you to be praying for other people. And once again, going back to that humility piece, sometimes we're too prideful to even have people pray for us. Like I can handle that, right? I can do it myself. Like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Like, no, no, it's good. It's a good thing. It's good to be praying and lifting other up in people. And dare I say this, sometimes you pray people into your life. Sometimes you pray people out of your life, <laughs> right? It happens. Like sometimes those things, but by keeping a continuous eye, for God to show up, and even in the process of prayer, allowing that to change you and your perspective, uh, who you're praying for. And it may be somebody that you're angry at or that has harmed you in some way, or, or but allowing that God can use anything. Change me. Like we said, change that, that into chapter two. And, and that's important because we see then Ruth, Ruth right? She goes into the fields, and we see in, in starting in verse four, while she was there, Boaz arrived, another just as it happened moment. Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. So, this is the entrance of our bachelor on the scene. Bachelorette, bachelor. Boaz just so happens to arrive, the businessman who's in charge of all these fields. And what I love about Boaz, right, is he's not a priest, he's not a prophet, he's not a pastor. His work is his ministry. His business is his ministry. That's his mission field. And I think that's a reminder to all of us that you don't have to be in full-time ministry to actually be in full-time ministry. You don't actually have to be up here or leading a church or serving in that kind of way. But you are in full-time ministry and that's what Boaz is doing. That, that it's not about going to the jungle necessarily, though some are called to do that. It's not having a holy job title, though some are called to that. Or even working for, say, a nonprofit or a social organization. Boaz, he's an ordinary business owner, letting the love of God shine through him and his work. And that's good. And, and God works through that. And, and while he's, he's doing that, that's when it just so happened that he notices Ruth. He notices Ruth. But what does he notice specifically? Verses 5 to 7 tells us this. Then Boaz asks his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvester. She's been hard at work ever since. I think another thing when we enter that new chapter, preventing reruns, not foolproof, but I think it's important to do the work. Do the work she's been hard at work that's the reply she's been hard at work not sitting on the couch not bemoaning life you know and I think you and I know this that after you've had a difficult chapter it's easy to want to do that it's easy to get lazy and say oh the heck with it right like it doesn't matter anyway it's easy to do those things but it's about doing the work partnering with God in a new episode means doing work and it's not easy you know, it's, it's doing things like, like in entering that new chapter, maybe of sobriety or recovery, saying, I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to make it a point to go to meetings. I know I need it. I know I don't want to go, but I'm going to go. Or, or saying, I'm going to go and make an appointment with a counselor. Or, or maybe even for you, entering that new chapter and saying, hey, I don't feel like going to church every Sunday, but I'm going to make myself. I'm going to do those things. Or, or taking the time to pray and to uncover the feelings that you've been experiencing. Doing some work In the process. Maybe even it's relationally. Mending a relationship with someone. Uh, See, in in Ruth's time, in Ruth's time, we recognize that, that most widows of the time, did you know this? Most widows of the time, if you were widowed, you were forced often into prostitution. See, Ruth had a choice here. Most widows, because you needed to provide for yourself in some way, if you didn't have a family to support you just so you could survive, often widows would go into prostitution. Ruth took a harder road, a harder and a higher road right here. And so Boaz replies to the the foreman there, and he says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean into another field and don't go away from here, he tells her. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. Whoa. Like, once again, this is a foreigner. This is someone who is going behind, who's, who's a widow, who's, who's abandoned in that kind of way, who's on her own, who's not one of, he's a follower of God, by the way. He's not one of the following the same, that he believes that she came from the right roots. But yet, what does he offer her? Grace. Grace. And I think when, when we enter a new chapter, we have to look through a lens of grace, to choose to look through a lens of grace. Because, uh, you know, just to be candid here, had Ruth had an online dating profile, imagine this, she would have not been the ideal candidate for a relationship. <laughs> you know, she, maybe she would have had like a Photoshop picture maybe from like seven years ago or that kind of thing. But, uh, but her profile would have stated that she belonged to the wrong people group. She had worshipped, she came from a background that worshipped the wrong God. She was widowed, which was a big deal back then. She was homeless. She was destitute, and she came with a grumpy old mother-in-law. Think about those things. You could say that Ruth, Ruth had a complicated past too, but that did not define her. It didn't define her. Maybe you're a Ruth, maybe you have a complicated past or a complicated last episode, but don't, don't let your past talk you out of God's plan for your future because a new episode is ahead, and that's receiving Grace receiving grace. Ruth, humbled as she was, she had to receive the grace of Boaz to continue doing as she was doing. But, but I think on Boaz's part, too, he's offering grace. He doesn't know this lady. He's only maybe heard of her. He's, he's asking questions about her, so he has nothing, knows nothing. But, but he, we'll look at his story a little bit next week, but he comes from a story, too, from a past, And in that, offering grace to her, allowing her to go along with his his harvesters, he remembers where he came from as well. And he's not too high up to say, I own all this now and I can do whatever it is I want. But he remembers where he came from. He sees her differently and he stands up for her and he cares for her needs. And then what does he do? What does he do next? He prays for her. He prays for her. And he says this, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Interesting prayer. Kind of a foreboding prayer of some chapters to come. And next week we're going to go into a lot more about Boaz. But but I think in summary, you and I, we're a lot like Ruth. We're a lot like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She lived her own way, not God's. We're broken. We mess up, we make bad choices, we don't do as we should. Ruth, she came empty-handed, and so do we. We come into the world empty-handed, and we leave empty-handed. Everything good that we have, think about everything good that Ruth acquired, it was gleaned from God's goodness, and the same thing from us. That, that we, you know, while we may do some work, that we are blessed, and God has blessed us with so much goodness in our lives. Boaz, Boaz blessed Ruth more than she expected. And God blesses us more than we deserve. And that's grace. That's grace. The prevenient, persevering, that grace that goes before us and the difference between chapter one and chapter two, it starts with the change in you. It starts in a change in you. Chapter one and chapter two will only be different if it starts with a change in you. And so, I want to revisit that quote that we kind of giggled at a little bit at the beginning, that Thomas Kempis quote. Wherever you go, there you are. Because did you know if we rewind his writing just a little bit, if we go back a little bit and say maybe to his chapter one, it has a greater context because he says this. Those words fall into this, these words. So the cross is always is always ready and waits for you everywhere. You cannot escape it no matter where you run. For wherever you go, you are burdened with yourself. Wherever you go, there you are. Think about that. That between chapter one and chapter two is acknowledging the need for God's work in your life. And and so there I say, if you've been in episode one, you've been stuck in Moab and have turned around, it's time to enter a new episode, a new chapter. And not just change direction, but allow God to change you along the way. Because the difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 starts with that change in you, a different place with humility, a sense of divine destiny of what is God up to, doing the work and seeing through a lens of grace. So my prayer is that you would start looking around and be like Ruth, start looking up for those as-it-happened moments ahead. Because just like with Ruth, I believe that for you, for us, For here at Table Life Church that there are fields of harvest just ahead. Let's pray.